0: Instead of just running on to help somebody when you see they need help, you had to first stop and think, okay, is it safe for me to put my foot on the stage because maybe the lifts would move and I'll fall into a hole. You know, when I actually got there, I realized all my little worries about, you know, how should I dress or is it appropriate to shake the guy's hand if he picks me up from the airport? In general, as a physio, you could actually do a lot of things. See, there are some physios that sit in an office and, and do paperwork for insurance companies and they don't have to see anybody. You talk to anybody all day.
1: And my name is Ana Aguilera, Ana Aguilera. Today we're talking to Jacinta Wu about all things physiotherapy.
2: Jacinta followed her passion for biology, the human body and working with people to complete a Bachelor of Physiotherapy honours at the University of Melbourne. Her work in major hospitals in Australia prepared her to be an in-house physio and first responder for the House of Dancing Water Show in Macau. Jacinta holds numerous certificates and accreditations in sports injury management, pre-hospital trauma life support, acupuncture, fitness, Pilates and yoga. Jacinta was also the head of physiotherapy on the Tahal show by the Ministry of Culture in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, created by Dragone and managed by an events company, Hawadi. Jacinta knows what it's like to be a physiotherapist for elite athletes and performing artists and how treating and managing them differs from a standard physio practice.
0: Jacinta, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna. And thank you, Anna. I'm very pleased to be here with you today.
2: Awesome. So I want to start with, uh, why did you choose physiotherapy to begin with, and and what was the path that led you
0: there? Um, to be honest, I think physio chose me, because I was always interested in biology and the human body in general when I was in high school. So I knew I always wanted to do something related to medicine, health sciences, and you know anything to do with the body and humans. So. At the time when I was doing my exams for university, if you wanted to get into anything medical, you had to do uh, another test called the UMAT test. And that test uh, was actually, you stood for undergraduate, UMAT, undergraduate medicine and health sciences admission test. So that test was required for uh, Australian and New Zealand students wanting to go into anything medical, and that kind of screened them to see are these people appropriate to become the future doctors, nurses, physios, speech therapists, you name it. Um, and that test was a paper-based test, and we had to do, you know, clinical reasoning stuff. We had to do um, logical, critical thinking um, questions, but then it also had fairly open Um, questions that tested your ability to communicate and how much empathy you had so it really tested out each person's personality and it would tell you at the end of it you know what sort of medical profession were you more more suited towards and and for me physio came out first so I kind of went with it and and chose physio.
2: And were you based in Australia at the time? Because I know you're from Macau, right? Were you doing that test from Macau, or were you based in Australia at that time?
0: Oh no, no. I'd already been in Australia for three years before starting university. So um, you know, I went into the regular VCE examinations, Victoria Certificate of um, Examination. So the the normal, usual path locals take to go to uni. Um, mm. So so that was how I I started uh, my uni life in melbourne in australia but i was originally born in macau but uh, raised in new zealand a bit and then back to macau for a bit and then to australia
1: and then how do you end up
0: working with performers so again i kind of you know life kind of put me into it really (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was never really super passionate about sports or uh performances per se and i never really went for that direction. After I graduated uh, my degree I worked in Australia for three years in major hospitals just to get some experience and do an all-rounded kind of work around different wards making sure that you know I was in the right profession doing what I really wanted to but uh, the point there came a point in time where I was 10 years away from home and you know talked to mom back home in Macau and she was like, oh, you've been away for 10 years, you know, don't you think it's time for you to spend some time with us? We're getting old, give Macau a try. So, you know, I thought, well, with three years of experience under my belt in Australia, maybe I can go back to Macau and see what jobs I can I can score, right? <laughs> so I eventually, you know, left Australia, went back to Macau in 2009 and just pretty much started job seeking. And I knew for a fact that I didn't want to work in a local hospital if I, if I had the choice, because everything here is in Chinese or Portuguese, mainly, you know, like investigations, the reports have come out in Chinese. I can read and write Chinese, but at the same time, my training was done in English, so I wouldn't know the name of the muscles in Chinese, I wouldn't know syndromes, the the actual you know, medical jargon per se in in my own language, funnily enough. So I thought, well, maybe I would do well um, in in a, in a broad public sector. So I was kind of zoning in on the more private um, jobs. And I just stumbled across um, the job, um, City of Dreams advertised. And they really wanted um, a physio with Western experience that had a good command of English, doesn't mind to work in a high-stress environment. So the job description was kind of very... very broad um, looking for certain qualities but because the show was not made yet so there was no uh, you know no job to actually put the role to so I I didn't know that I was going to work in such a large-scale show directed by the late Franco Dragone and you know I was very very impressed by this whole journey into it and very very grateful for just kind of stumbling into it.
2: And what was the surprising about the transition from you know working in hospitals or a clinical practice then into the performing arts world so what what surprised you as and what was different about it from a physio perspective
0: well first of all when when you work for a show it's a whole different environment when i used to work for hospitals um you had a whole medical team around you and it was a hospital setting and you had everything you needed on hand but in in a theater Physio was only a small department and whatever you needed, you had to pre-think about and already have it stocked and and ready to go, whether it be an emergency equipment or whether it be some bandages or tapes or whatnot. So the the forward planning, the the, the everything, you know, would have to be much more uh, prepared than if you worked in a hospital, you just walk in and everything's there, everyone's there. If you needed help, you just page a nurse, page a doctor, the registrar oh some somebody has some problem and you know it's out of my hands because it's a medical problem you always had help but in 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 the circus or the theater environment the physios in in the show in the house of dancing water show were the only medical personnel so whether we liked it or not we had to be prepared to to answer questions to refer on outside and help them source the specialists that the artists might need and uh you know, it, it, the process would take a lot longer, and when we're dealing with high, high, um, high-risk acts like flying motorbikes, people diving from twenty-five meters, uh, we also had to be very prepared to know that in case there was a major accident, we would have to be the first responders. You know, perform resuscitation CPR if needed because it wasn't like the hospital way. You know, there was a nurse like within five metres of you always and then you could page the, the crash team and say, okay, there's a code, we need someone to come and then they'll come running and then I just step back. So in a show, uh, we were pretty much it. But um, the company prepared us well, sent us to do this pre-hospital trauma life support course. So we were very well geared up for it and, you know, only those at parts the test could actually do the job, right? So yeah that was that was one of the major 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 things for me like that was different between hospitals and another thing which shows was that we were needing to navigate the stage space so instead of just running on to help somebody when you see they need help you had to first stop and think okay is it safe for me to put my foot on the stage because maybe the lifts would move and I'll fall into a hole while I'm running there or maybe something (laughs) will fall on me from above because um, you know winters are still going so a performer or a thing could fall on you while you're trying to uh, do an emergency response so um, everything in the theatre was quite new for me but very um, important to learn. And um, again, it was a big, steep learning curve, but I understood why it was important for me, for everybody, for the good of the show. And so communication was was very important. And, you know, that was one of the big things they highlighted in the job description. This person has to be able to communicate well, communicate efficiently and quickly and properly. So, you know, it came out during the job that, I knew why it was important. You always had to think. You always had to think before you act, like with anything, but with this job in particular because it could be life-threatening for myself or, or for someone else if I if I made the wrong move. make it sound so intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a huge challenge, and for someone my age at the time, I thought it was so super fun and so super cool because it was the biggest show of its kind that, I never knew of or anyone ever knew of that was actually being made so we were in the creative process not knowing what to expect not knowing how the end result would turn out you know um, everyone was working together supporting each other to make this thing happen so it was a very good atmosphere to work in because it was like one big family trying to work towards a common goal and people worked very hard together to to put this major, big, spectacular show in Asia on. And, you know, at the end, everyone was wowed by it. You know, my relatives, you know, in the beginning, they're like, oh, you come back from Australia. What job are you taking? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I work for a casino. <laughs> they're like, a casino? Shouldn't you be working for a clinic? And And it's like, well, I don't know. They wanted a physio, so there I am. Let's see. And then, yeah, (laughs) in the end, you know, the show just blew them away and they were like, wow, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm very proud to be on that show or have been on that show. It must be very cool as a mechanist to have been part of it. Yes, yes, very much so, yeah. There was no expectation and I guess that's the best surprise you get when you go into something without much expectation.
2: So in that show there was performers from all over the world and and – and I can imagine there'd be a lot of different personalities and different people that you'd have to manage. What would be some advice you would give people who um, are going to work with different cultures and within a multicultural team?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I would say um, always keep an open mind. Um, don't judge people before you actually get to know them, as a general rule. Because, like I said, if you if you you know walk in with expectations, sometimes. You know it might not be what you expected and sometimes people might be the opposite of what you, who you think they are or what their culture holds um be respectful at all times be interested in people's culture i often found that you know people who were interested in my culture brought me more joy more fun to work with because you know they, they truly showed interest as as a as a person to to um integrate into my culture like say when they were working in Macau so people who actually try to speak the local language or even try to greet you know security guards or cleaners or work friends in a different language um, i always thought that that bonding was a bit more stronger and there was always more more fun and more um uh how would you say community more- community kind of yeah when when you mm. work with with people who are uh, um, diverse you know and accepting of all cultures
2: was there any trends with like different cultures who like would not show up in your physio room versus who would in terms of is there people that would always be there or is that a personality thing was it more was it a cultural thing or an individual thing in terms of people how much they'd show up on your bed physio
0: i think it's more an individual thing because uh sometimes sometimes artists would be be more avoidant of coming into physio because they think oh that's going to affect my contract you know if i'm always known to be injured um you know i feel like they don't want us to know that they're injured and they try to help themselves and rehab themselves So there are some artists that are more reserved and and more cautious that they tend to self-manage, which is no problem. But we always keep a tab on, you know, who's in and who's out of what. Why are they out? Why are they in? And if someone's injured and come in and say, okay, I can't do that particular act, we would ask why, you know, where did you hurt yourself? When did you hurt yourself? And assess them to see whether they actually needed our help. So for some people, even if they didn't want our help, and we thought they did, would force them to come in and put their name on the board and say, You have to come see us. Um, but then there were some other people who were more careful at looking after themselves and didn't really care what we thought about them because they would be like, Well, if I'm coming to physio, even if I'm coming for treatment every day, I'm doing it for personal maintenance. But as long as um, I'm doing the show, as long as I'm in every act, you know, if I'm showing that I'm a good performer, that shouldn't matter whether or not they grant me the next contract or not so those more confident performers who didn't really care about what we thought you know they would just come in put their name on board whenever they needed and you know, be people that we see regularly, especially in between shows, that would be the most popular time because they were there anyway and everyone wanted to come at that time. So they were fighting for the spots every time this, the, the board opens available for sign up. You know, people would always be there looking for those spots first. And the spots that people didn't want were the early morning spots before show call because they didn't want to get up early, come in for treatment and then hang around for five hours before they were actually needed for, for their jobs. They, Yeah. I've always found it interesting and I don't know how you
1: guys make a call, you know, because you have a medical training, you also listen and tend to the artists, but you also have the pressure from the show integrity, right, to keep everyone in and like, how do you guys find that balance between keeping everyone in or Mm -hmm. respecting when someone needs to be out and, you know? Yeah, pushing all the
0: lines—that's that, a little bit of a challenge for us, for sure. Because you know, sometimes if you saw this same person in private practice, let's say, for example, a simple sprained ankle, if you saw that person in private practice and they worked in the in office, you would just say, "Don't run on an ankle for for a while." You know, you'd give them a time frame and how to nurse it and and send them home, and you know, self care with rest as the major thing but as a performer we'd have to think about what are the needs of the show can we afford to lose this performer who's just sprained his ankle you know are they the only person that can do that role and how unsafe is it for me to tape him up real good put him in the show just so that that act can still run so in in a performance industry you have to think more in terms of balancing what is safe and still try to deliver as much as you can for the audience to get the best experience so i was very aware that you know my decision would would directly impact on on the show whether or not someone's in and out of the show you know whether they were the best performer for that act you know if they were injured first of all you know we take their safety into consideration that's the utmost important thing that that we we worry about but then the second thing is you know we think about is it medically safe to put them on we discuss with the artists to see how how well or ready they feel to be put on still with a with a small injury for sure if it was a major injury of something with a torn, you know they get pulled out straight away and get booked in to see a surgeon right so it depends on the 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 extent of the injury and how much we can kind of tread on those borderlines and we work together as a team so it's not just all the physios decision but we have to work with the artist and then we also have to work with the wider team with stage management to see who else is in who else can do this role and of course with coaching you know as the artist is being rehabilitated we we talk about the the rehab plan um how much can they do now it's been three weeks since they've sustained this injury how much more can they do You know, can they go back on bungee? Can they go back to diving? Whatever it is. So communication between departments, cross departments are also important. Um, And I think the injuries that would make me the most stressed would often be the injuries that happen mid-show, because you didn't have time to think about it. And when the show is going on and someone's injured and they kind of hobble into physio saying they're hurt, you know, first thing is we have to communicate on radio to say this person's presented we have to assess him give us some time and then we just really have to be as quick um, as we can as efficient as we can to diagnose come up with a plan let everyone know okay this is the plan they're in or out or maybe they're partly in and they can do only xyz but not abc um and then that communication over the radio would be received by the whole team and then that would just lead to a whole cascade of events where it could be like you know wardrobe would suddenly have to run and get somebody else's costume go preset it somewhere everything happens in a very quick dynamic way but for me that would usually be the highest stress time because you know everyone's waiting for you to assess and, and you really want to make a good decision, um, <laughs> the right decision, so so you don't uh, hurt that performer by saying, okay, I think you're fine, just go, you know, or pull them out unnecessarily and they say, okay, we've got to cut that act now and then the audience has has a much lesser experience of the show. So yeah, I mean, we're not perfect, but we, we just try to do as much as we can given given with the time and the resources that we have. What would
2: be your advice for an artist in terms of uh, them having a long career in the, in, the, in the performing arts industry in terms of their physical well being? What, what would you advise somebody to, to do or how to take care of themselves or how much they commit to the show in terms of how much they do in each show, et cetera, et cetera? Do you have a sort of mm-hmm. some recommendations?
0: Well, for sure, I'd have to say that they need to look after themselves because there's a lot of performers and we can't look after all of them individually. So they need to be able to basically you know, maintain their bodies, um, whether it be doing exercises, the appropriate exercises, eating well, resting well. Um, usually as a performer of that level that can work in a large scale show like that, they are already quite tuned in as to what they should be doing to take care of themselves. Um, one thing that I find can be tricky for us is when people are not willing to come in, whether or not it like what I said before, that it was because they they were worried, the fear factor of not being offered a contract or being viewed as being the the weaker person or the broken person, or maybe there would just be some people who were quite stubborn thinking that, no, I don't need you, I can fix myself. Um, and I think um, the the second type of people could be more dangerous because they can be in pain. They might not tell us. They might not even come and say I need to be out until they actually break something. So I think um, to, to, to have a long career, um, I would advise performers not to, you know, be all too tough because when they're too tough, sometimes they can really hurt themselves or have lots of degeneration before they they know it and then it's too late. So I would say always be open, come chat with us. You know, you might not need physio, you might not need help, you might not need to see a doctor, but if you come chat with us, we can talk with you, we can reason with you. You know, if you don't believe us, we often like pull up stuff on Google to be like, see, this is what we're telling you about. See, it's actually on Google, so it must be true, right? So, like, <laughs> you know, at least have that conversation, so that it's a it's a it's a mutual kind of um, decision that that's made, whether or not it be someone should start seeing a doctor, whether somebody needs a PRP injection. You know that those wider you know, decision-making has to start from somewhere. So if they don't initially present, start that communication, we can't help them. And uh, the most dangerous thing is if they if they tough it out until the end, then um, they they can actually really be worse off and that injury could be career-ending. So if you want a long-term career, you need to be open, talk to us. If, if you don't like what we're saying, you know, we can refer you to the medical doctor, we can refer you to an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, just making sure that we know, the company know, at what physical level you are, is actually good for you because then we can make sure that we give you the right training load, the right show load, so as not to hurt you because when somebody's and out for nine months, it's actually more work for all the other people that have to work in the place of him. So it's not just that one person's problem. It becomes a wider problem for the team. So I think, again, it goes back to communication, talking with us, you know, Finding the best solution together, and 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 yeah, go from there. And now a note from our sponsor.
2: The Theatre Out Live podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications since 1968 for theatre and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. You can find them at c l e a r c o m com. Go check them out.
1: Did you ever get to see any technicians, or do you are any familiar with
0: injuries on on technicians? Oh yes, there were lots of technicians that actually needed physio. But when I was the physio for the show, we didn't have the time, or we didn't have the mandate to treat them because if we started treating one technician, then there would be no time for artists because then all the technicians would expect us to treat them. So um, for for that particular show we were only dedicated to artists so that mean that meant that the technicians could only be treated if it was something that was very major very serious and needed immediate you know attention you know the general aches and pains niggles we would send them off to the local physios and in private clinics because they had really good insurance coverage um the artists needed our time in-house um but we would not mind giving, you know, backstage advice. It's like, okay, I've got this problem, you know, what do you think it is? What do you think I should do? So just conversational advice we would give, but actual treatment, like lie on the bed, do a proper treatment, not so often. Only if that person, you know, couldn't work or it was an emergency, there was a first aid thing, well, we must attend to those kind of things, right? Yeah, but regular treatments, we, we generally outsource for the technicians.
2: It's interesting that you say that, Anna, because it does beg the question, like if you look at the scuba divers in the show, their roles are just as physical as the performers and maybe the carpentry and rigging teams too, right? So Mm -hmm. one could question, just because the people are not on stage doesn't mean they shouldn't receive physio treatment. I mean, it's something that... should be re-questioned. I'm really just rethinking it in my mind right now. I was like, hang on a second. <laughs> well, <laughs> Why don't right we have an extra now. couple of physios and then and totally agree with as you. well?
0: Yeah, I yeah, totally agree. I think it's just manpower and the number of people that we had and the ratio of us to performers because I guess yeah. performers take priority because they're working on stage, they're physical. Uh, scuba divers, you can say, as well, but probably they have more of a team to switch out so... You know, maybe more people can do that one role, but for performers, maybe one person can only do one role. So it would be highly inconvenient if that one person was out because we didn't have time to treat them. So I guess that's why they prioritized the performers. And when I was hired, the job mandate was to treat performers only. So that's why... We only did that but i think if there was unlimited budget for sure they should have a separate team of physios only servicing technicians there is no question about that i feel like you know the amount of work that the technicians put in physical labor as well you could say it's it's the same if not more so they work long hours as well they push heavy objects sometimes they do repeated manual labor so that's why when i actually left the show I went into private practice and I received a lot of these technicians at my clinic and uh, immediately, you know, that, that gave me a lot of business in the beginning because they thought, oh, wow, finally we can see you. And <laughs> I guess the, the company is fair in a way that they looked after the technicians by giving them a good insurance package. So at the same time, it wasn't like they didn't get any help um, at all. So yeah. they were reimbursed for for physio, and they could come see me off duty. So you know, you could say performers were probably more privileged. Of course, you know they 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 worked less. If you looked at the physical number of hours, or the or the you know how how much of the time are they actually working, or you know they do on training but then they can just sit in the dressing room and chill and chat but then again it's like this person just flipped a motorbike you know it's like the the amount of skill that they have probably allows them to be a little bit spoiled i guess because these yeah. talents that you get from all over the world is not easy to to find so um so i guess the company prioritizes the resources towards them but yeah no doubt. Like if, if there was unlimited resources, I totally feel that there should be a separate department for physio for the technicians as well.
2: I'm going to try and argue for that next time, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when, when you treat the uh, um, technicians
1: and your private practice, um, was there a recurring theme, let's
0: say, on what you were, or it was like a little bit of everything? It could be actually quite specific to each department, you know. So let's say wardrobe people could often have neck injuries because they would always look down and be sewing and doing stuff. So it was specific to the nature of their jobs. You know, rigging people, carpentry people would have more manual handling issues like back pains or uh, knee pains. And there was a trend, but it was never... Um, exclusive to a particular department so the general musculoskeletal things you know it would happen to anybody um you know if if somebody kind of had a had a near miss and they they tripped you know that could happen to anybody in any department so I guess me being there outside of the actual show for a little while um it was actually quite quite good to actually see the show from the other side because when I worked in the show I was only understanding the artistic side of things because we only dealt with the artistic um, component of the show, the performance, coaching, stage management, physio. And we didn't really understand the technician's life much. And I actually believe that I knew more about the show after having left the show, working as a physio in private practice, because I had a lot more time talking to the technicians and understanding their work you know what they did how they had to do it why did your finger get caught in that and then you know that kind of stuff so you you really um you know i i felt that i had a really good all-rounded experience of the show just because i actually had the 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 like the fortunate uh, chance to actually treat people from both sides mm. So you'd say either a bigger team or a very good insurance for for terminations. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the insurance plan that they had was 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 really good. But mm. I don't know if, if there was another show here or anywhere else in the world, you know, whether or not it'd be the same insurance, you know. Because for sure, anyone that works on a show can be highly strong. I'm not saying everybody is, but um, the demands of the show often it comes before anybody's personal needs because it's a, it's a big picture thing. You work together. It's like, Oh, I want to sleep in today. It's like, no, you can't. Suddenly this person is out. You need to come in for training early. You get a call early in the morning, even if this performer has had a big night out, you know, you're a team player. So everything was worked around the show. And uh, so everyone just kind of had to make those sacrifices and, and, you know, I know a lot of technicians, not just performers, who would actually go into work with a small injury, with pains, because they knew they were important, they were needed in, in that role. So, you know, I can say that there were a lot of team players that I worked with. And you know, I was very lucky to actually have known them on a personal level, because um, with my job, I actually have to know them very well. As a person, you know, what do you do for an exercise? What are your hobbies? How is your posture at home? Do you like watching Netflix lying on your side all the time? That's why you've got a neck problem. You know, <laughs> and we get talking about, you know, regular life stuff, you know, how many kids do you have? Do you carry them? How old are they? Do you put them on your shoulders? So um, I feel like that, that, closeness you know of getting to know people as individuals as a physio for me is is a true true gift you know Mm. for me.
2: You recently uh joined me in Saudi Arabia for the Project Tahal um tell us about your experience there what 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 was what was it like for you?
0: Well to be honest before you (laughs) called me about the job I had no inclination to go to the Middle East well not because I avoided it or anything it was just like there were many other places on my travel list that I wanted to go to so out of the blue Middle East like what not not even just to visit it was like Mm. to work there so I thought okay that sounds cool and you know Macau had just opened up from from three years of being locked down in COVID it was a nice little surprise thinking what can I actually travel now without coming back and quarantining? So that was a huge appeal, and and uh, you know, I said yes pretty much as soon as I had the okay from my husband and my my boss here in Macau, and then I started doing my research, and not until after I started doing my research, then I discovered like oh it's actually quite scary or can be a bit scary. Oh, actually being a woman, how would it be working with a team there, especially being a woman leader in Saudi Arabia? So I kind of got very excited in the beginning and then I got a bit worried after I started doing my research. And then, you know, when I actually got there, I realized all my little worries about, you know, how should I dress? Or is it appropriate to shake the guy's hand if he picks me up from the airport? You know, those kind of little things kind of just dissolved away once I got there. So um, being in Saudi Arabia really opened my eyes to a culture that I had never, you know, studied. I'd never actually worked with anyone that came from that culture that had a very strong, um, um, how would you say, uh, cultural uh, inclination because everyone that I worked with in Macau, you know, they could have been from the Middle East, but they had probably travelled the world and, and you know, see eye to eye with a Westerner and accepted everything that a Western person or a Chinese person would accept. Like they're just more worldly. But walking into the Middle East, especially Saudi Arabia, for me, after having done my research, I thought, well, I better be careful, you know, about things I say the things I wear or you know talking to people um, expecting that they hold certain values that I hold myself because it's such a different world Um, but it was quite um, an eye-opening experience and a surprise to me that they were much more worldly much more open-minded much more humorous than I thought they were. You know, on the internet, you go, oh, my God, everything's so serious there. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, but when you get there, everyone could take a joke. Everyone was nice. Everyone was kind. And the team that I led, they were very, very well receptive of me and um, very, very nice. Culturally, um, I had the experience of actually being able to go to one of their homes and have a family meal on on the ground eating with my hands you know that was the, the last thing I expected on this job but um, yeah I really felt that these people were nice kind genuine people that have not had much exposure to the world or maybe I was the ignorant one that never read into their culture or knew about their culture but yeah it was very it was very um, new for me this whole experience and I could say that I'm very pleasantly surprised by The amount of work that the people were able to put in, uh, the number of hours that they were ready to work because, you know, we had a very limited time to put on that huge massive show and I would say all the Saudi people, the local people and also the the expats, you know, anyone that I worked with on that team was very dedicated. So um, the Ministry of Culture, I think they found the right people to do that job because, you know, looking at how successful it was, um, everyone was blown away by it, the locals. You know, I think I looked at one of the the girls that was in my team. She was in her early 20s, you know, after, with a few years of experience in a clinic, and I just kind of looked at her thinking she's just like me, you know, she's in Saudi Arabia, and this is a first show of its kind that's opened up in her hometown, and her eyes were, you know, just glam, like, how would you say, glistening, like, to, to everything that she saw. And I'm like, that must have been me, like,
1: more, more than 10 years ago. Dancing. Like, how was, how was the Dancing
0: Water <laughs> opened. So it was kind of cool to to kind of see, you know, the same experience happen to new young people, new young physios who were super passionate super curious super eager to learn super hard working and you know the whole end result you know made them all proud made their families proud and just wowed the whole community that's that's so so beautiful (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that story about your experience in Saudi Arabia. It's uh, we'd never actually caught up about about that uh, Jacinta. So it's nice to hear that. We always finish our um, podcast with the two same questions. So we're going to ask them now. What is your most favourite thing about your job or the industry?
0: For doing what I do as a physio in musculoskeletal and private practice, I would say it's the it's the ability to actually be with people, to communicate with people and be helpful to them as an individual because, you know, I wanted to do something that was medical because I, I wanted to help people. I, I like talking to people, listening to people. In general, as a physio, you could actually do a lot of things. See, there are some physios that sit in an office and, and do paperwork for insurance companies and they don't have to see anybody. You talk to anybody all day. But um, for, for me in particular, for, for my profession, doing what I do every day, I'm really grateful for the fact that I can actually get to know people as individuals, get to know them and help them with their problems. And once you're able to help someone improve their quality of life, you know, let's say there was a lady with a frozen shoulder, she couldn't reach her hand up to wash her hair, you know, highly inconvenient for her. When she's able to do that again, you know, I feel so happy because of me that she was able to make such a huge difference to her life. So those little things or even major things like sports stuff, you know, people couldn't football because they broke something you know they had surgery and they come come to me and then i rehab them and then they're better and then you know months later they're they're on the soccer field again so those little things you know those little things that make people's lives better because of me i mean that makes me feel very happy that gives me the best job satisfaction ever i think that's the best thing of my job and that's why i go to work every day (laughs) because i look forward to to helping those people and if you could change one thing about your job or the industry what would you change as an industry i don't know i can only speak for for myself in the small little sector that i work in because i mean again like i said there's physios that work in pediatrics geriatrics stroke units hospitals icus you know it's been long gone since i've you know touched on those very specific <laughs> sides but for me working in private practice i mean it's unrealistic but i wish i had you know more hands and more time and so i could you know, treat everyone (laughs) at the times that they wanted because often you'd see a pattern of, you know, people wanting treatment at particular hours, say after school, after work, on the weekends, but, you know, there's only one of me and, you know, you can't split yourself to help that many people because they all want the help at that particular time or around that particular time. Like you can't ask someone who's a teacher at school to come at 11:30 30 a.m in the morning because you have a spot right so I kind of struggle with that that I think that's the only frustration in my job most of the time because it's like oh I wish I could have seen them twice this week but they only have time for once or oh there's a schedule clash and instead of me being able to see them once this week or twice this week so we can keep the treatment um, process going going forwards and not actually regressing because they haven't seen me for two weeks because they have to go for a business trip you know those kind of things are the things that frustrates me but there's nothing one can do about it right <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so
0: i don't think i've really answered your question but uh honestly like that is the first thing that came to my mind
2: when when we figure out how to clone people and <laughs> then, then you'll be fine
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i think so. an we'll AI, just... <laughs>
2: ai robot or something going on going next to you to do that mm-hmm. give you the extra hands right not yeah, too or, distant
0: or clone the teacher so that can stay the clone can still be teaching and then the the one that's injured can come and get treatment <laughs> exactly <laughs> clone other people as well. <laughs> uh,
2: Jacinda thank you so much for joining us on the Theatre Art Life podcast I really truly appreciate hearing you about, about your work and your life and uh, thank you for joining us
0: thank you Anna and thank you Anna it was a pleasure talking thank to you yeah. both. <laughs>